Around four, the clouds cleared. We were able to see the full moon across the valley. I was part of something bigger. I was part of a movie. Next morning, we wake up to the sight of perfect swells coming off the point. And from then on, I said, I will always buy the last round of drinks. At Patagonia, we are climbers and skiers. We are surfers and anglers. We are activists and dreamers. Stories of the fabric of our shared culture, and we're proud to sponsor the Dirtbag Diaries. Visit us at Patagonia.com. Two years ago that I launched the Dirtbag Diaries, and I have to say, today, I still can't believe it. We've gone to the skies above Baghdad, across Cascade Peaks, down rivers in Peru, up El Cap, and across the Alaskan wilds. We've been to some pretty incredible locations, but to celebrate two years, I wanted to revisit one of my favorite places. It's not all that scenic, it kind of smells like oil and concrete, but the story contained inside this garage is the story with which I began and the one that I return to time and time again. We proudly present the Monoboard. Both Becca and I were a little concerned about living underneath our landlord. It's not that we're particularly prone to partying or intensely private. It's just that off-scene landlords, especially wealthy ones from the Bay Area, well, they can be kind of a pain in the ass. The rent was fair, though, the studio cozy, the view was unbeatable. Lake Tahoe lapped against toaster-sized granite stones just a 100 feet from our patio. It was the first, and probably only, lakefront property we will ever call home. I still wasn't sure when we pulled into the driveway, but after couch surfing for two wonderfully depraved months, we were getting desperate for a place of our own. Honey, we ski. Some people buy second homes. We all have different hobbies. It will work out, Becca told me. I stared at the three-story lakefront home that we would guard over from a tiny room adjacent to the garage. They'll probably never even come up, I said. Real estate is just the thing to do these days. Mountain people, we can be an arrogant lot, adhering to an us-and-them view of the world, typically reserved for despotic sociopaths a few cleansing shy of an international tribunal. To those who don't fit our mold, we can be condescending and brutally rude. I was wrong about our landlord, Henry. The 50-something labor lawyer from the Bay was small in stature, with wiry, graying hair, and a quiet voice that tended to jump and skip through sentences like the trembling call of a distant bird. As he clicked the garage door opener, our only means to access to the mother-in-law studio, both Becca and I instinctually gravitated to the monoboard hanging from the wall. That's right. You heard me. The monoboard. The garage smelled faintly of laundry detergent, cold pavement, and motor oil. We stepped inside. The blue, red, gold, and white monoboard was part of an extensive collection. Instantaneously, it was clear that in front of us lay Henry's life work. He had searched yard sales and cut-rate ski shops, responded to newspaper advertisements, and helped neighbors clean out their garages in order to assemble what was likely the most extensive collection of rare, bizarre, and antique skis in the West, if not the known world. 
This was not a museum where antiquities are kept behind glass and never used, but a working library where items were checked out and reappeared with scratches, stains, and delaminated sidewalls. There were seven pairs of skis hanging from the homemade wooden rack, bolted directly into the garage's concrete walls. For the early season sparse conditions, Henry kept two battered sets each, with their own distinct war wounds and core shots. Next to them hung a pair of old straight skis that Henry kept for shits and giggles. I dust them off every once in a while, just to remember the old days, he told me. He owned a new pair of Dynastars, nothing flashy, just a good workhorse, and two other pairs he just kept around. The centerpiece of his collection was a set of original fat powder skis, complete with neon surveyor's tape in case of wipeout. Of all the skis in his collection, they were the only set purchased new, and made Henry startlingly ahead of the curve. There were snowboards. There were shortboards for the park, long for the powder. He admitted that snowblades had been disappointing and didn't really do anything at well. He continued down the line, pointing to two sets of 1980s-era beginner skis cut short in the rear to facilitate wedge turns. These, Henry said with an eager smile and a look of conspiratorial joy, these are perfect for doing daffies and spread eagles. I struggled to imagine this small, quiet man with a neat mustache and wire-rimmed glasses ripping the shit out of anything other than a legal brief. But it was evident from this collection that our unassuming landlord knew a thing or two about carving a turn. At the very least, this man could have fun with two-by-fours strapped to his feet. Our tour continued as we arrived to Henry's monoboard which he really liked on groomer days, but only after lunch and a few beers. I've got to ride at the end of the day, though. Once you've strapped that on for a while, you forget how to turn skis or a snowboard, he told me, as if I, too, were a connoisseur of winter sports' bastard children. He rounded out his collection with cross-country skis, three saucers, a wooden toboggan, and a tri-ski sled complete with steering wheel. The best part, he explained, was that, aside from the very forward-thinking purchase of the newly crafted powder skis, his quiver had all been bought second-hand. People have been skiing for centuries, and while side cuts, dampening system, widths, shapes, and bindings have all advanced by light years, the heart of the sport remains rooted in a simple truth. Skiing is fun. In a way, Henry was like a lifelong carpenter. The carpenter understands that, you know, while all saws are meant for cutting, each blade has its own unique and wonderful purpose. Henry understood each ski's corresponding strain of wild, goofy fun. Standing in the cold of the garage, I knew that Henry belonged to the tribe. I'm sure punk snowboarders snickered at Henry's monoski. I'm sure mocking cheers floated down from the lifts when Henry, employing his hybrid beginner skis, punctuated yet another successful daffy with a quiet whoop of joy. If Henry heard the Snickers, I'm sure he probably didn't care. The smile on his face would last for at least a week as he herded briefs and cold depositions into neatly arranged cases. One Friday night in January, Beck and I returned late to find a recently arrived Henry, shovel in hand, standing in the driveway, illuminated by the porch light. When I reminded Henry 
that he had hired the Haney brothers' vastly efficient six-ton plow to complete the very task he had set out to accomplish at midnight. He just smiled giddily and said, I know, but it just looked like it needed to be shoveled. It's been years since I've seen Henry. Now, I live further from the windswept ridge lines and water-carved canyons than I have in more than a decade. Sometimes in dreams, I hear the rasp of Snow Shovel's metal edge on snow-slick concrete. Both Becca and I long for that tiny studio, that roll-away bed, and the incredible view. I followed a career into the flatlands, and I understand the motivation that it takes to negotiate rain-slick interstates, chain-controlled passes, and the vehicular chaos that comes in between. While I live in the lowlands, it doesn't make me any bit less of a mountain person or a skier. I know, too, that one day, I'll become the subject of snowboarders' ridicule, and the lifties will mutter city folk beneath their breath. I hope I will find solace in the half-shoveled driveways while snow falls in thick round flakes. Life's roads and discoveries have steered me from the simple life, but I have faith that they will lead me back towards the mountains, back towards my rightful home. Now, when I descend into the red glare of brake lights on the road back towards another week of work in the windy concrete slot canyons of the city, I think of Henry, illuminated by my headlights, shovel in hand, with snowflakes melting on the edge of his neat mustache, and smiling like an expatriate returning to a homeland from decades abroad. Music today, Gregory and the Hawk, Andy McKee, and American Analog Set. You can find information and stream the cuts at our site, dirtbagdiaries.com. If you've got input, drop us a line at dirtbagdiaries at earthlink.net. Two years, damn! I'm going to go crack some champagne. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the champagne of beers. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy the night and get right back to it tomorrow. But for the moment, I want to raise my glass in thanks to you. Yes, you. Thanks to everyone for, who has joined me on this adventure. To the people who have sent in words of encouragement. Who have offered stories and advice and thoughts, wisdom. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's meant a lot to me along the way. Also, I want to say thanks to the good people at Patagonia for their support of the Dirtbag Diaries. Without them, this would not be possible. So, with that glass, cheers. We've got some good stories coming at you this spring. Stay tuned. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Diaries.